Well, it's good to be here. It's good to be back. Uh, I've been working on this sermon, it seems like, forever. Um, last week, I was uh, really, really sick. And uh, if you've ever gone through what I went through, uh, I, I pray for you. And, I, and um, it was incredibly painful, but I'm, I'm back, and I'm happy, and I'm healthy. And, and one of the things that I learned through this experience, I learned hundreds of things, like, one, how amazing my wife is. She mopped my brow through the whole process um, and was so uh, kind. Uh, but, but another thing that I learned and I relearned is how wonderful this church is. Uh, so many people, cards, phone calls, texts, emails, um, uh, just showing your support for, for just a, a really, really hard 72 hours in our family's life. And um, in fact, somebody, I don't know when this happened because like the weekend is really blurry about like when days and time, all that stuff happened because I was in and out. But but. Somebody showed up to our house while we weren't there, they, they washed our dishes, they, they made us food, and they left, and they didn't say anything. And, and uh, for me, that's, that's absolutely amazing, and if that's you, if you did that, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, this church puts its money where its mouth is when uh, it supports, and I felt that support this weekend, um, and it was amazing, so thank you for that, um, and I am excited to be here, to be back on my feet, and... Um, Pray, pray hard that that never happens again. Um, so we are going through this series, Good, Good Father. You may have forgotten because it's been a couple of weeks, but we are going through this series called Good, Good Father, and we will finish it someday. It's going to be amazing. Um, and it's been really enlightening for me. It's been encouraging for me. Um, and we're, uh, if you're wondering, we're following Jesus' Beatitudes. Um, and you might go, oh, man, I don't really know what the Beatitudes are. Is that like B-E-E or B-E or, or how does that work? It's okay don't worry, don't feel bad. You can check out the B attitudes, um, Matthew 5, 1 through 12. And in fact, just read the whole Sermon on the Mount. It's an amazing experience. But specifically, we're going to be focused on verses 1 through 12 in chapter 5. So um, we have the opportunity to look at a word today that is very confusing. Now that for some of you, might be exciting. For some of you, that might be like, oh my gosh, what are we going to get twisted around this thing? How is it going to work? We're, we're going to dissect this thing. And um, I, I, I will tell you that it is very confusing if you do this, if you put action before motive, okay? If you think of the word that we're going to look at as just action-based or, or non-action-based, it can get very confusing why Jesus would talk about this this way. But what we're going to do this morning is we're going to talk about motive first, and then we're going to apply the action that the word uh, necessitates. So it, I, I, motive is, is, is an interesting thing. And, and if you've ever thought about this, why do we do what we do? And, and we kind of have like a public version of why we do what we do. And then we have like the, the intimate private version of why we do what we do. And, um, you know, th there's, there's a lot of things that go into this. I'm, I have this uh, acreage here really close, and, and we're putting fences around it so we can get horses. And if you've ever talked to me about this process, I will talk your ear off about it, okay? Um, and, and if you ask me why I'm going through all this difficult work, I will tell you, well, it's for the children, <laughs> Of course, it's for the children. I, I want my kids to learn about animals and land and how to farm and all these wonderful things, right? And that's great. Well, the other day, a few months ago before it got cold, I'm out in the field and I'm setting posts in the pouring rain. Okay, now I'm, I'm digging holes and I'm putting big logs in those holes and then I'm trying to pack what is, amounts to soup around that hole in order to hold the post in place. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, why am I doing this? And, and I thought, well, I, I want the kids to learn, and, but the kids are inside. I got, 
it, it's for me. There, there's some mixed motives there, right? And, and if you ask me in public why I'm doing it, I'm doing it for the children. But if you, if you really examine my heart, my motives are mixed, and there's some of me in there too, and I, I want this as well. And there's nothing wrong with that, but that's the truth. Have you ever wondered why the guy next to you is always yelling at the ref in your kid's Little League game? If you asked him, he would be like, oh, I want my son to, to have an opportunity, right? I want a fair opportunity. But if you examined his heart, it would be a lot more complicated than that. And it wouldn't necessarily be bad or good. It would just be really complicated as far as why we do what we do. So when we get into this passage, you have to promise me not to freak out, okay? You guys good with that? No freaking out aloud, at least until the service is over, and then you can freak out all you want. Okay, no freaking out. You might actually hear this and you go, well, of course, of course, that's, that's obviously the right answer, right? But take a minute and examine your own heart. You don't have to tell anybody about it. I'm not going to ask you about it. This is just between you and God. Examine your own heart as far as why you do what you do when you do it. So, no freaking out. Are we good? You guys good? Okay, sure. I'm getting a couple head nods. I'll, I'll move forward. All right, so let's get this party started. Let me pray for us and then we can get going. Jesus, thank you so much for the opportunity we have to be here. Lord, um, after the, the week and weekend that I had, I am so thankful for health. I am thankful for this church, and I am thankful for my family. So, God, I ask that you would guide us, that you would comfort us in our difficulties, that you would shine light on the direction that we're going, um, and that you would comfort us along the way, because this is a very challenging time, and it's, and, it's, and it's a challenging passage that we're trying to learn about. So I ask, God, that you'd speak through us, that you would uh, speak to us, and that, that, that we would understand what you'd have us know. In your name, amen. Okay, let's start with the passage. We're going to look at Matthew 5. We're going to read 1 all the way to 12, and then we're going to focus on our verse for this morning, okay? So here we go. Five, Matthew 5, verse 1. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds... He does this a lot. He sees the crowds, and then he does something. He saw the crowds. He went up on a mountainside, and he sat down. And his disciples came to him, and, and, they, and he began to teach them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Okay, great piece of scripture. If you're going to memorize something in the New Testament, seriously, start with this. It's really good stuff. And, and now, before we talk about that big word that I warned you about, meekness or being meek, let's just take a quick look at another word, okay? We're going to have to take a look at the word blessed. Now, we see this blessed, blessed are the poor, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are the merciful, blessed are those who thirst for righteousness, blessed are the persecuted. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about the word blessed, those things don't generally go with it. Jesus says nine times in 12 verses the word blessed. 
So, by the way, if Jesus ever says anything that much in a short amount of time, I feel like we probably should go, okay, what does this word really mean? What does it mean then? What does it mean now? What does it mean to me? So, what is blessing? What does it mean? And we talked a couple of weeks ago, you may not remember, but we talked about the Facebook version of blessed, like hashtag blessed, like, hey, look, I just bought a new car, hashtag blessed, right? And, and, and we all kind of chuckle, but, but I think a lot of us in our course sometimes think that's what blessing is. And if I, if I do all the right things and, 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 and everybody's happy, including God, then I get the new Audi, right? And, and, and we kind of like work really hard for something we want, and we don't want to just say, hey, I worked really hard for this thing. We, you know, we, we kind of want to justify it spiritually, so we're like, oh, see, God gave me this thing. Isn't that cool? And, and, and that's, that's not blessing, okay? That's just so we're clear. That's not blessing. That's you working really hard for something that you got in, which is great and not bad, but, but it's not blessing necessarily. So we know from the first week, the first blessed that Jesus gives us, that this thing, whatever blessed means, um, you get when you're spiritually bankrupt, okay? When you, when you were spiritually poor, you, get, you have this blessing thing. And, and, and from the second week, we, we get this thing called blessed when we mourn. So this already starts to throw a monkey wrench in the, the brand new car in the garage theory. We have some sort of blessing associated with meekness in this passage, so we can be assured that blessing isn't necessarily associated with painful things not happening to you. So you you right away have to make that distinction. Just because I think I'm blessed or I actually am blessed does not mean my life goes the way I want it to. That's a big step. That's a big step. In fact, you can look in other places in the New Testament with the word blessing or the word blessed and associate it with really hard things happening to you. So there's a disconnect here, right? And there's a reason. There's a reason why this is hard for us to understand. You see, in the Old Testament, we see a direct correlation with obedience, blessing, and wealth, physical wealth. And we see God's people doing what they're supposed to do and God blessing them physically in the moment for doing it, whether that's protection, whether that's increased land, whether that's many children, on and on and on the list goes. And so I think a lot of times we, we take that idea and we kind of drag it forward into the New Testament, and then we say, okay, if I'm blessed, then I should get the new Audi, right? I should, have, I should be free of sickness. Nothing in my life should go poorly. But we're doing something there that, that is, that is um, not biblical. So why do we not see the same correlation with this word blessed in the New Testament as we see it in the Old Testament? See, the Old Testament is a story after story after story of God's people responding to covenants that God has made with them, either individual covenants or or covenants with a people group, with a nation. And and you have the Noahic covenant that God makes with Noah. You have the Abrahamic covenant that God makes with Abraham. You have the Mosaic covenant that God makes with Moses, but really to the nation of Israel. You have the priestly covenant that God makes with Aaron and the tribe of Levites. And you have the Davidic covenant that God makes with King David. So you have all these covenants, and you could probably even say, well, there's even more covenants in there if you start reading through the Old Testament. All the promises God makes to individuals could be considered uh, covenants too. But you basically have two categories of covenants, and I'll try to get through this quickly. 
you have a bilateral covenant. And what that means is there's, there's two directions here. So there's the, if you do this thing, then God does this thing, okay? So, so it, the, the covenant has to be balanced on, on, on the nation of Israel or the individual doing something, and if that something is done, God will respond this very specific way, okay? So a perfect example is the Mosaic covenant. God says, hey, if you worship me this way and you keep all the laws that I give you, guess what? I'm going to give you these things, and it's great. And so then you see the nation of Israel sometimes doing all those things and God filling his part of the, the covenant. And sometimes you see the nation of Israel going off the rails as far as they could possibly go. And then God doesn't fill his side of the covenant. So that's a bilateral covenant. Well, then you have the unilateral covenant, which is way better for us and way more my favorite covenant. An example in the Old Testament is the Abrahamic covenant. And this is beautiful. The Abrahamic covenant says, God says to Abraham, I love you, and I'm going to bless you, and that's it. Abraham doesn't have to do anything. He doesn't have to live a certain way. He doesn't have to make all the right choices. He doesn't have to be a certain thing. God says, Abraham, I love you. I'm going to bless you, and, and your descendants will be more numerous than the sand on the seashore. And Abraham goes, if I, and God goes, no, no, if I, that's just what I'm going to do for you. Unilateral covenant. God makes a promise and he follows through on his promise. So if you fast forward to the New Testament, Jesus came to fulfill the Mosaic law, the old covenant, the Torah, came to fulfill that and to give us this new covenant. And guess what, folks? It's a unilateral covenant. Jesus says, I love you. John 3, 16, because God loved you. I died for you, and that's what it is. You have to accept the covenant. You have to accept the promise, but there's no life you have to live. There's no laws you have to keep in order to receive the thing that's coming you, which is God's love. Unilateral covenant, and this is why in the New Testament, when you see the word blessed, it usually is associated with something very painful because when you live the way Jesus wants you to live because you love him and you want to, the world doesn't understand it, and bad things tend to happen. And here we have these blessed moments already going mourning and spiritually bankrupt and, and persecution and all these difficult things. We're blessed when we, when we live this way, even though these things are happening to us. So blessed, being blessed, here's the, here's the common thread between the bi bilateral and the unilateral covenant. The common thread is God's favor. And this is where we get to this point of the good, good father saying, listen, I just want you to live the way I want you to live, whether I promise you things in that life or I promise you things in another life. I love you, and I want you to reciprocate that love by living the way I want you to live. Awesome, right? The word blessed means finding favor with God. And when we find his favor in the new covenant, he rewards us in many ways, but not necessarily in the way that he rewarded the Israelites in the Mosaic covenant. And oh man, we love to do this, especially in the Western church. We like twist all this stuff up and somehow if I keep the Ten Commandments, I'm going to get a new Audi, <laughs> right? Oh no, it doesn't work that way. That's not our covenant. We're under the new covenant, unilateral covenant, very different a little bit of a, a, a rabbit trail with you guys, but it's important that for us to say that. And this is why our first statement in your bulletin is, being blessed 
is being given the hope for tomorrow amidst trials of today. Okay, I'll say it again. Being blessed is being given the hope for tomorrow amidst the trials of today. So Jesus says, when you act this way, I bless you and you have hope for what's coming. That's really important. Jesus gives us our hope. Jesus gives us our strength. And we're going to talk about strength in a minute because of this word meekness. We might walk through the trials of today with the future on our hearts. And that gives us the strength. That gives us Jesus' strength. And the good Father is our source of hope and he's our source of blessing. See, Jesus, this is what's so crazy. Uh, Aaron was ta- teaching about Jesus this morning, and, and it's just amazing. You can double down and double down and double down so many times about what Jesus is doing. So Jesus throws out this little statement, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And you're like, okay. But if you start digging in, it just goes so deep. See, Jesus just doesn't give us the hope for tomorrow. He actually shows us what that hope in the future looks like today. And that is so practical because we can go, okay, I'm, I'm going to hope for tomorrow, but this is what it looks like right now for me in my life in 2019 in the capital district of, of the upstate New York, right? Like that's how specific this gets. So he doesn't stop because he goes a step further and he models for us what it means to be meek. Yeah, oh man, I knew he was going to come back to that word meek. Man, nobody likes the word meek. Nobody likes it. So how in the world are we blessed if we're meek, let alone if we're inheritors of the earth? So here's meekness according to Merriam-Webster. Google it when we get home or you Google it right now because you all got your phones. There's three definitions. First one, meekness. Enduring injury with patience and without resentment. Okay? Kind of positive, maybe. Gets worse. Two, deficient in spirit and courage. Well, that sounds great, right? No, that's not great. Number three, not violent, and you're like, okay, well, violence is kind of bad, or strong. Well, strength is very good, right? So three definitions, none of them you could probably say are overly positive, one of them kind of medium. And as it turns out, the, the word meek here is, is praus in Greek, and it actually means gentle. Okay, and you're like, well, that's kind of different in our language. Gentle and meekness are not the same thing. But there is something interesting about this word meek. The word meek or the word gentle is or or was as accepted as a good thing back then as it's accepted as a good thing now. It's not accepted as a good thing. It's not a good thing back then and and it's not a good thing now. As it turns out, being gentle or meek in this culture and in the culture that Jesus spoke this in, it, was, it meant you lack something. You're missing a piece if you're meek. You are found wanting. You're missing a desirable ingredient in your personality. So you get the idea. Jesus is saying, hey, this really bad thing, you should be this really bad thing. And if you do, you're blessed because you're going to inherit the earth. Nobody back then and nobody today, Christian, Jew, Greek, doesn't matter, nobody liked this. This was bad, which is why when Jesus said this on the Sermon on the Mount during the Beatitudes, everybody was like, what? Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, and now blessed are the meek? Are you crazy? 
what in the world is Jesus talking about? How could you say that lacking something is a good thing? It would be like saying, okay, now, now you guys got it figured out, okay, when, when you let people push you around, okay? And, 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 and then Jesus is like, all right, can I get an amen, all right? And everybody's like, what? what? We're supposed to let people push us around? We're, the, we're the, the nation of Israel. We demand world domination, and this, this little uh, Rome character needs to get taken care of, Jesus. I thought you were going to lead us to crushing Rome so that we could rule the world. And you're talking about letting people push you around, and when you do, you'll be blessed. Now, remember the way we started. There is a motive question deep in this statement. Why in the world would you want to be meek in this situation, in that situation, in any situation? The cool thing is is that Jesus is doing something deeper than just saying, do this thing. He's telling you why you need to do it, and he's telling you what's going to happen when you do it. When you act like this, it's a good thing. Jesus is saying that, but it's deeper. There's plenty of action or even lack of action when it comes to meekness. But there's so much more than that. And as it turns out, the the action or inaction in meekness looks a lot like the action or inaction in timidity. Timidity. There's another one of those words. Nobody likes it. It's not a good thing. It looks like timidity. Or it looks like gentleness, which is in the Greek what it literally means. It looks the same. You don't act, you get pushed around. You get pushed around, people take advantage of you. They harm you, they mistreat you, they abuse you. So we're just supposed to let that happen? There's a big difference between timidity and meekness, which is why our second statement is this. Meekness and timidity are not opposite in action, but in motive. There's a reason why you're meek, and it's a very, very different reason when you're timid. Meekness and timidity are not opposite in action, but in motive. Here's the deal. We are weak people, and it's okay to admit that because God made us that way. God created us uh, uh, an inability to, to withstand much so that we would trust him. See, God created us from the very beginning to have this relationship with him, and he's our provider, and we are the people that respond to his provision. That's the way it works. Even before there was sin, God designed Adam and Eve to need him. So that need we've translated in our sinful world is is this bad thing that is weak and is is horrible, and we need to get rid of that, and you need to be strong and self-sufficient. But here's the deal. Meekness is choosing to be gentle for the sake of someone else. That changes things a little bit. Here's Jesus' example in Matthew 11. He says, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You see, timidity is enduring abuse because of lack of confidence. When I'm timid, it's about me. And I get pushed around and I get taken advantage of and I get abused because it's about me. And my weakness. Meekness is enduring abuse for the sake of someone else. It's not about me. In fact, that's kind of the point. 
It's about Jesus. There's a reason why Jesus is asking us to be responsible for others or to take a beating for someone else or or to allow someone to take your head off because they are the ones that's hurting. There's a reason why he's asking that. And and you might, might think, oh, well, it's because he wants us to be like him, and he did that, right? Well, no, that's not the reason he's asking you to do it, even though that's true. Jesus was meek. He was humble. He was gentle. But that's not why he wants us to be that way. There's a reason, and it's in this statement, why he wants us to be meek. He wants his followers to be meek because the person sitting next to you is worth your sacrifice. It's not about just being like Jesus. It's about living the way Jesus lived because he lived the way he lived. You see, Jesus looked down and he saw you and he said, you do not deserve what I'm about to do to you, but I love you. I value you. You are worth my sacrifice. And he came and he sacrificed for you and he died and he rose again because you're worth it. So this isn't just let's, let's all be mirrors like Jesus. That's a good thing and we want to be like Jesus. But we need to know why. The motive is so important. He wants his followers to be meek because the person sitting next to you is worth your sacrifice. Just like he deems you worth this, his sacrifice, the guy that just cut you off in traffic and flipped you the bird in the process, like how do they do that, right? They cut you off and flip you off. I'm like, what? I'm just sitting here. That guy is worth your sacrifice. That guy is worth your pain. That guy is worth you being taken advantage of because Jesus said, he's worth my death. He's worth my resurrection. Okay, we good? You guys good? We're going to pivot. Okay, Time to pivot. In one sentence, Jesus tells us why he wants us to be meek and what we are going to do with it. Did you catch that in the statement? It's right there in the verse. The good, good father wants us to show constraint for the sake of someone else. And it's because of the blessing that's coming us. So we have to learn how to be meek because of what God is going to bless us with. Our inheritance will require us to care more about those around us than we care about ourselves. This is what's coming. This is future. God's preparing us. He's teaching us. He's training us. He's our father. We are his children. Our inheritance will require us to show constraint for the sake of someone else, even though when it looks like we're just being timid. That's called sacrifice. Our inheritance will require us to be meek, which is why statement number three is, inheriting the earth is not just a gift, it's a responsibility. So as children of the king, we are, rece- we are going and are receiving an inheritance. And that inheritance makes us blessed. And when we're blessed, we're happy and it's wonderful and all these great things. But that inheritance is tricky because it's not just golden harps and, 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 and clouds, right? There's a job to be done. And as inheritors, as children of the king, we are responsible for others. And that's powerful. That's why when Jesus says, you're going to inherit the earth, there's people involved in that. We don't even know specifically what that really looks like, but there's people involved in that. 
We're inheriting responsibility over people. So we better learn how to put them first and us second if we're going to receive this blessing the way that he wants it to come. Responsibilities um, require more of us than just us being strong for ourselves. In fact, most responsibilities require you to set yourself aside for a time in order to focus on something else. You know, I'm responsible for my kids. Don't ask my wife. Let me say that another way. My wife's responsible for our kids. So I sometimes fit into that. I'm responsible for my kids. And it means I have to give them, okay, what they need before I give myself what I need. That's the definition of responsibility. i got to make sacrifices. And I'm here to tell you guys, sometimes it's amazing. Sometimes it's fun. Sometimes I love it. Sometimes it's so natural and easy to give them the thing before I take it myself. And sometimes it's really, really difficult. And it takes practice. And it takes discipline. And it takes making mistakes and correcting those mistakes and then reassessing and making sure everything is going the way that it should be. And none of those things are fun. But having children is, is one of the single biggest blessings of my life. Jesus is sitting down with his disciples and all the people around are listening and he's telling them, listen, the good, good father wants to prepare you for your blessing, which is also going to be your job. This is the best training you can get. It's like on the job training before you got the job. It's amazing what he's doing. This is the way you're supposed to act and it's going to look a lot like you're timid which the world thinks is a horrible thing. That's the, that's the job that we have before us. Be meek because you'll really need it when you inherit the earth. It's like, it's like you know, your, your dad is like, hey, son, I really, I really need you to be patient. I need you to not be quick to anger, not quick to making rash decisions because you're going to need that when I give you your car for the first time and he hands you the keys to your brand new car. That never happened to me. I'm just saying I could imagine if that did happen to me. Right? Like, you got to prepare your 16-year-old son for what he's going to need when he gets this amazing thing. Put it another way, you'll find God's favor, Jesus is saying, when you train yourself by showing constraint with your current situations and responsibilities because you'll need it when you receive what's coming to you. Statement number four, showing constraint teaches us how to inherit. Man. This is why I'm growing to love working land. I grew up on a farm when I was a kid. I don't remember half of what I need to know. I make mistake after mistake after mistake. And what I'm learning I'm going to need in order to take this responsibility on. Amazing. That's exactly what Jesus is telling us to do when he's asking us to be meek. Listen to uh, Elias Alaskalison. This guy, okay, if you don't know who this is, this guy was top of his class in the British Naval Academy. He graduated top of his class. He was one of the best promising naval captains the British Navy had. And, and he was considering giving it all up following a calling 
that Jesus was placing on his heart. The king of England himself wrote this man a letter and said, please, do not leave your post. Please, do not give up this thing. We need you. We need you as a captain. But he did it anyway. He did it anyway because he wanted to follow Jesus' example of being meek and he wanted to show Christ's love. And he saw this amazing thing that he had as a hindrance to that. This is what he says. Being meek must never be confused with being timid. A timid spirit is the exact opposite of a meek spirit. The quietness which accompanies meekness is the result of one's trust in the Lord. That's God's strength coming through us. Whereas the quietness of timidity is the result of one's lack of trust. Being timid is being distrusting of our Father. Being meek, which looks exactly the same thing. Being meek is, is our trust exuding out from us for the sake of others. So the question is, will you refuse to def- uh, defend yourself when it's easy? Will you let that person vent all over you so that you can be a model to them and listen to them even though they don't deserve it? Will you care less about yourself and love those around us because Jesus is teaching you how to receive your inheritance? Jesus said it a thousand times to his disciples, and he said it one specific way in John 13, 35. By this, he says to his disciples, everyone will know that you're my disciples. This is your mark. This is your brand. This is how people know you're in the kingdom and you're receiving your inheritance if you love one another. Be meek with one another. Be gentle. Be slow to speak. Don't defend yourself at every turn. This is the point this morning. The good, good father is not just our source of blessing. He is that, but he's not just that. He's our example of meekness. And he shows us that example through Jesus. If you think meekness is weakness, this is why you need to learn, this is why this is so important to us right now in our lives. If you think meekness is just weakness, then you'll exhaust yourself trying to be enough. If you make the mistake that you can't show the world uh, what it thinks as weakness, you'll miss the opportunity of showing restraint. You'll miss the opportunity the Father has set before you to learn. He's giving you training sessions after training sessions after training sessions. The question is, is are we going to listen and are we going to learn from these trainings? Not to mention, when you refuse this, when you defend yourself for your own sake, and you're strong for your own sake, walls go up. Relationships are hard to, to navigate, and, and, and difficult things happen, and it's hard to figure out what your motives really are. Independent strength will consume you, and you'll realize too late that it was never about your own strength, but how much you cared for those around you, which in turn takes tremendous strength. So what do we need to do? Let's, let's apply this thing. We can't begin to attempt this on our own. We have to be able to make mistakes and learn from those mistakes. And one of the ways we do that is when we walk with our brothers and sisters in trust and in love. So, I'll be the first. I've made countless mistakes this morning. 
<clears throat> let alone last week, let alone last year. Mistake after mistake after mistake. We can't be harsh with each other when we make mistakes. We need to come alongside each other and help. When we're alone, we have to be focused on ourselves and protecting ourselves. But when we're in community, we can really start to focus on the things that God is teaching us to do and to, and to learn. I said the word community, so you know what's coming next. Life groups. You might chuckle and laugh, and oh yeah, Josh always talks about life groups. I don't have some weird agenda with life groups. I really don't. But here's the thing. The, 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 the very imperfect and struggling life group that we have, the, the life groups that we have at Grace Chapel, they, they begin, they just begin to allow you a relationship where you can be weak with one another, where you can be meek with one another, and you can make mistakes, and, 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 and the, the relationships aren't going to judge you harshly, and they're going to give you grace, and they're going to work with you. That's what life groups are all about, being known, valued, and loved. Because when we're known, valued, and loved in an environment, we get to learn. This is why our environments for kids are so important that it's, that it's a, a safe environment. Because we want them to learn. It's the same thing in life groups. I want to learn with you all how to be meek. And I can't do it if it's me against the world. But I can if it's in a relationship with you all where you're giving me grace and love and, and guidance. One of the things that I like to do in my life groups, and if you're part of my life, any of my three life groups, sorry, I'm giving something away here, but, but I like to play the game. How, are the, how is this person feeling and, and why? So I like to ask questions, and I do this really imperfectly, but I like to ask questions, and I like to wonder, what's going on with this person? Why are they stressed? Why are they upset? Or why are they happy? Why are things going well? What's behind this? Question, 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 question. So don't just join a life group. Join a life group with a mission. Join a life group with a person, with, with a purpose. Learn how to be meek around these people. Let them learn how to be meek around you. And when you do that, you're going to be overwhelmed with the opportunities that will present themselves for you to learn how to receive your inheritance that's coming to you. The good, good father is not just our source of blessing. He's our example of meekness. And Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the opportunity to be here with each other, rubbing shoulders with good people, learning what you'd have us learn. Lord, we are your children and, and if it's not amazing enough that you've invited us into this wonderful family, you're also giving us on-the-job training on how to be inheritors. And God, I think about all the relationships that we have that are outside of this building right now. And God, I ask that you would bless each and every one of those relationships in a way that we could be meek with them and we could be gentle with them and we could show them your love. We could show them your strength that flows through us. You love us, Lord, and we thank you for that. But your love even goes deeper than that. It shows us how to be your children. Lord, we know you're a good father, and we thank you for walking with us, with teaching us, correcting us as painful as that is, and showing us the way. We love you, Jesus. In your name, amen.